0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. A real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dirk and Dr. Karen Hutchison.
1: Welcome back to the Think Orphan podcast. We have another great show for you today, and and for uh, you know the the last three episodes we've had one of my good friends um, filling in for Dr. Karen, and he is here again today, Dr. Rick Morton. Rick, how you doing?
0: man i'm good excited to be back with you again thanks that uh karen uh vacated the seat for a minute to give me a chance to hang out with you
1: yeah it's been a blast um we will likely do it again in the future but this will be it for the the time being so we'll see how we'll see how uh how that goes but uh it's been it's been a lot of fun and i hope folks out there i hope you've enjoyed it as well to get a little change of pace and to, to hear what uh R- rick's been thinking about these uh, great interviews he's had over the last few episodes um, starting out season 5 So today it is no exception To the great start to this season uh, We have Kim de Blaycourt And she has written some phenomenal um, Books uh, Studies, devotionals And um, they, I know they. I learned a lot from them As you'll, as you'll hear in the interview It, it really blew me away the, the new one she has coming out soon So um, I'm not going to waste A whole lot of time here at the front end We'll talk about the interview afterwards But uh, here's the interview with Kim Hey Kim it is so great to finally get to talk with you here on the Think Orphan podcast.
2: Oh, you too, Phil. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, so you know, folks out there, you know, as you know, those of you who have listened a lot on this uh to this podcast, you know that you know, typically I've had conversations and relationships with these people that are on the, on the show and friendships for a long, long time. And Kim and I have just really tried to get together over the last, you know, several years and just haven't been able to. So I'm so excited today to finally sit down and have a conversation with you to hear all the amazing things that I've been reading about, things that we've been sharing over email, um, then, and we can just kind of at the same time share it with the world here. So I'm so excited to do that, um, with you, Kim. Cam. Oh, me too, Phil. So before we get into, uh, you know, the, the meat of the conversation, so to speak, not that your story is not, um, part of that. It actually is a huge part of that, but can you share with our audience and, and with me actually, I know we shared a little bit before we started recording, but you know what, uh, just how'd you get into w- w- what you're doing today and, and where you are today?
2: Well, I'm sure a lot of people start that This out was saying the same thing. It was just like totally a God thing. Mm -hmm. I was on a totally different track. Um, my husband is, is an executive at his company. Um, I was in the human resources training and development corporate world. Um, we were kind of on that track and of course our, um, first child was biological. And that kind of, you know, starts to waver the track a little bit that you've been on together. And then um, a mission trip to Ukraine in 2003, that sent some more ripples, some more waves. And then our adoption, we decided to adopt. And that just totally stopped my world. There was no morning rocking, there was just stopped and then kind of turned upside down, I guess (laughs) a little bit. So all that education, um, the master's degree and everything and all the studying I was doing and preparing and writing training scripts for companies, et cetera, um, all switched over to orphan care at that point. So yeah, that's kind you, of where I come from.
1: Yeah. And you said your, your adoption was a big part of it and it wasn't necessarily the smoothest adoption. You actually wrote a book about it. You share about that with our audience and then just let them, let them know about the book. So, and, and where they can find it, presumably Amazon, but any, anywhere else they can find that.
2: Sure. Sure. Well, um, yeah, the our, my first book was called until we all come home. It was from faith words and it was released back in November of 2012, so it's been out a while, mm-hmm. but basically it was um, an adoption that happened in the country of Ukraine during a presidential election, and some people were siding with certain candidates, and the candidate that the prosecutor involved in our adoption process, because it is a regular legal process in the country of Ukraine. And there was a prosecutor involved to make sure everything was done, Um, really was backing a candidate that believed that, you know, international adoption was no longer good for Ukraine. He was a very pro-Moscow candidate. And, you know, there was already, we were already seeing the writing on the wall about Russia eventually canceling American adoptions. Back then, back in 2008 and 2009 and 2010, when we were involved in the process. Mm -hmm. Um, So that really didn't just come out of the blue, but um, he did everything he could, our prosecutor, to make sure that our um, adoption didn't go through, basically. So after I had already processed our son legally out of the orphanage, which as many adopting parents know, that's a big deal. When you actually get everything you need and you process your child out of the orphanage, you've done everything, you know, correctly. And he actually got somebody to accept an appeal of our adoption late, Hmm. past its due point, so that I could leave the country, but my newly adopted son that I've already processed out of the orphanage could not. And that's when my year of living in a Russian sector of Ukraine in the Odessa Oblast began. Wow. And we fought. And um, they said we'd never get him home. But God had a different plan. And that's when my relationship with God went deep. Because when you are feeling like an orphan yourself with no family, when you're feeling like a widow with no husband or immediate family with you, and you're definitely a stranger in the land all at the same time. Mm-hmm. God becomes totally different. At least he did for me. And since that time, all those corporate skills and everything in my life up until that point has now been changed to this new direction of orphan care.
1: Yeah. So most people go through that and they don't write a book. Um, What caused you to say, you know, I got to share this with some, with other people and I got to write a book about this. Like, what were the things that you talk about in the book? What were the things that, like you said, I need to tell a story and I hope that my book is because when we write a book, you know, anybody that's written a book says it's a lot of work. So you're not just going to do it because you just want to say, Hey, I want everyone to hear this story. What was your hope from the book? And then what did you really talk about through that book of your story that, that really has impacted others and that you were hoping would impact others?
2: And that's a really good question, because I got to tell you, I didn't want to mm-hmm. uh, at first, because all I could see was it being a negative mark against adoption. And that was exactly the opposite of my heart. Right. But what it was and what I found out through the following, the people that started following me on social media throughout it, throughout the experience, I, I, I posted everything. Everybody knew my daily movements anyway. I had already made all this story known. But we ended up getting followers from all around the world following our story as it was unfolding. And people were writing me incredible emails and incredible Facebook messages about what was happening in their life while I was going through this journey um, that just happened to involve adoption and how encouraged they were. And so that's when I knew I had to share the story. And, And it was kind of like I equate it to almost like a modern day Bible story because everything was against us. Everyone kept telling us we were never going to be able to complete the adoption of this child, that we were going to have to eventually return him to the orphanage, which would have broken his heart. And then that they'd make sure and move him and that we'd never find him again because this prosecutor ended up having something personally against me. And so... With everything stacked against us that way, just how God did this, and then he brought this person into the story, and they did this, and then this happened. And it was just like a week-by-week week unfolding of God asking me to be patient and then watching him work it out. Mm-hmm. And all this so that one little boy could have a family. Yeah. It, it, to me, it was amazing. And so that's why we had to share that story. And we've had so many people. I just recently at um, the summit this year at CAFO, a pastor came up to me and wants me to go speak to their group of pastors in Ohio. Because he just personally found the book and the story so encouraging um, that he thought that those in ministry should hear this story about how to stick it out once God has called you to something. And wait on him. Because I do think that we're kind of, um, sometimes I think the Western, those of us in the Western culture are a little bit in love with our own comfort. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, Absolutely. I think we don't really know what it is to have our faith tested, especially in such an extreme way. Mm-hmm. And I know I didn't anyway. I can tell you that for sure. Absolutely. But I knew what it was to be obedient. Yeah. And I, Absolutely. and I didn't like it and it was very tough on everyone involved, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant is something I live to hear. Right. So,
1: yeah, it's interesting. Cause you know, it's, I was just talking to some about this today that oftentimes, You know, we try to pretend like everything is is like you said comfortable. We we get we don't like to be uncomfortable. The reality is, if we really take a step back, we're always uncomfortable. There's never a place, you know, our our lives after the fall. Really, it's for honest, it's a train wreck, you know, in a lot of times. And I think we try to pretend like it's all perfect, um, when it's really not. And so for you to sit in the midst of something that absolutely clearly 100% was not perfect. And it was so obvious. You're literally in a foreign land. You're literally, you know, having what seemed like a shut door by this government. I mean, you against talking about David and Goliath story, right? You're in a foreign land with them saying, Nope, sorry, it's not going to happen. And you're, and you, a lot of people I'd say, I I would venture to say, I don't know this. I've never done a study. This is completely unresearched. But I would say most people would see that as a closed door. How did you know it wasn't a closed door?
2: And this is probably one of the more controversial parts in the book, to tell you the truth. But um, the day I found out that the prosecutor got his appeal that he didn't get turned into the court on time, and that's why we were able to process our son legally. Everything we did was by the book and get him out. And then he got somebody else to accept it late. The day I found that out, um, it was uh, life-changing for me. I was in what I would say, despair. And I... Kind of broke down for about 21 hours. And um, when I woke up from that, the first thing I did was ask God to please help me never be there again. And I asked for forgiveness. And I went to the mirror to throw water on my face. And I couldn't even recognize myself because my face had changed after crying for so long. And I had a streak of gray hair in the in the front of my head. The despair was so great. But during that time, I woke up to my room being filled with light. And I thought I had left the drapes open. Because in Ukraine, in the summertime where I was, the sun came up at about 4 a.m. And I was so upset at myself for leaving the drapes open, you know, and and all of a sudden I realized I wasn't alone in the room. And I started praising God. Just words of praise just started coming out of my mouth and I could hear myself talking. But at the same time, I couldn't open my eyes because the light was so bright. And all of a sudden, I just stopped. I I, I, I was verbally wasn't speaking anymore. And I heard two words. Be patient.
1: Mm.
2: And then the light was gone. And I was able to sit up in bed and I looked and the drapes were closed. And that's when I realized that something had happened in that hotel room. And because of those two words being said to me, I knew that no matter what happened, I was to wait on God until something else was told me until anything else made it clear that I was to leave, that I had to stay and wait on God. So that's what I did.
1: Hmm. You know, and throughout scripture, patience is translated as long suffering, right? So I imagine... In that year, that's what it felt like, right? Long-suffering. It
2: it did. I mean, talk about being out of your comfort zone. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I had to learn a language because once the summer was over, all the university students that spoke English were back at university, and I was back to having no one that could speak English. So I was learning Russian on the fly. Um, We were moving from place to place because I didn't know who to trust. And I knew that the prosecutor, I had been told that the prosecutor was trying to find us. And so we were constantly moving locations. Um, I was trying to get um, the appeal date set, but the prosecutor kept throwing up roadblock after roadblock. After I was due my appeal in 20 days. It didn't happen for four and a half months. Um, It was just a very long drawn out process with just trying to be patient, obedient and safe all along the way.
1: Hmm. So how did you follow the verse and other verses like it? Be still and know I am God. How did you rest in the midst of that just transition after transition and seeming chaos? Really? I mean, your life was turned upside down. Um, or, or maybe a better question is, did you rest? And if so, how? <laughs> I imagine you rested yeah, in God in a lot of ways. Yeah, a better question. Yeah, right. <laughs>
2: um, I know that in able for me to fall asleep at night, I actually imagined that God's hand was at my back and that he had me. Hmm. That played a big part of being able to physically rest. Um, but I had a lot of time, um, during the afternoon, during nap time or just whatever that I could really get into God's word. And I've got to tell you a lot of times during this time, I, just like it is when we're in tough situations in life, you know, we're either going into or in, or just coming out of a tough time. Right. Right. Cause that's what it's like life is. And I, I felt many times like my prayers weren't going anywhere. I felt like they were bouncing back off the ceiling to myself. <laughs> but I was to remain obedient. And I knew who I believed in. Paul's words to Timothy meant everything to me. I knew who, where my faith was. And it wasn't in a legal system in another country. It was in God. And if God wanted this boy to be a part of our family, that would be accomplished. All I had to do was wait. Now, not that that was easy, of course, (laughs) because I had to shop every day. And I had to. Um, he wanted to go outside and play every day, and there was all this interaction. And yet, I was trying to be quiet because I didn't want people to know necessarily that I was an American either. And my Russian was horrid. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it could get the job done, but it was terrible. And everything I owned and wore looked American. And I slowly even changed my attire over the over time. Um, the 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 real rest came with those stolen moments in God's word and after prayer and just asking him to have my back at night. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, and God's word is a pretty amazing thing, especially in these times um, where you really don't know what else to do. So that's so encouraging to me. Um, and we'll see what's as encouraging is now that we can fast forward and see what God has done in and through you since then, Um, man, there is absolutely no doubt, I know in your mind, and then just reading about your story and talking to you about your story, I know no doubt in my mind that all that happened for many reasons and many lives and that you've been able to be a part of and be able to uh, step in and do life with people in Ukraine since then in ways that um, God's just working in awesome ways. So can you share just a kind of a snapshot of, of different things that have happened over those years since then? And we can, we can dive into a couple of them, but before you do that, can you share your website, any, any way people can find out more about you? Cause we're not, we're just scratching the surface today as we do with most of our guests. And I'd love for people to, to connect with you and connect with all this great work that, that uh, you're doing.
2: Oh, definitely. And, and even brothers and sisters in other countries, please connect. OK, because I know, um, well, we need to be unified, mm-hmm. especially on this in this orphan care arena. Um, the, my website is Kim It's just my name all over case. And um, the you can even get a free two week sample of my new book there right now. And you'll find more information about our first story until we all come home. And then also, uh, our organization's name is nourished with an E-D, hearts with an S at the end, dot O-R-G, dot org. And right now, we are only working in the country of Ukraine, but we share all of the information and experience we've gained freely. And it's just yours for the asking. So please ask.
1: Yeah, and, and I will tell you, folks, before uh, before we, we started recording, Kim said to me, she said, please, please, if I forget to tell everyone about the collaboration we want to do around the world, don't don't let me forget. So fortunately, she didn't forget. But I want to emphasize it that, that as most of our guests on the show and as we really encourage more than as much as anything, um, we need to do this stuff together. And I know Kim is a collaborator. Kim is someone who wants to share what they've been learning in the Ukraine and, and the work you're about to hear about. Um, if you're doing anything like this, even if it's just to encourage each other, I encourage you to reach out to Kim uh, via that website, which we'll have on the show notes and just start a conversation and maybe you guys will do something together. Maybe you won't, but I know it will be encouraging for both of you. So definitely do that um, with Kim and with, with other guests that we've had on the show too. So now Kim, back back to you um, on you know how God's been using you since your time that year you spent in Ukraine.
2: Yes, we ended up, our first orphan care experience really came in two forms. Uh, First of all, we, especially myself, I considered an unofficial adoption of our adopted son's older half-sister. She was 16 at the time we met her. We did have a letter of intent to adopt her. But the minute she walked in the door, she said, no, I don't want to be adopted. I've just graduated from high school. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. This is my life now. And she sat down and wrote a letter immediately. She even knew to do that, um, to say that she did not want to be adopted. And she was 16, so she was old enough to make that decision in the country of Ukraine. And it broke our hearts. Um, But we respected that. And I, and I did explain to her because I got to see her a lot while I was living there that year, (laughs) finishing um, our son's adoption. And uh, I told her, you have an American mama, you know, and I want to, I'm honest, to keep in touch. And she had never met any of her siblings. So she was really looking forward to meeting our son and she got to spend time with him. I mean, because we'd have her over to the apartment Taught her how to make hamburgers and french fries in the oven. I mean, I mean, we just had a lot of fun um, together. And um, one of the things I did was I was able to set her up in her apartment, the old family uh, apartment that um, since her parents were dead, she was able to inherit. We got her all set up before I left. But I got a devastating phone call from her a couple years later, and that's what actually took me back to the country of Ukraine. I wasn't real sure I was ever going to go back, but God brought me back through Svetlana in that um, she ended up testing positive for tuberculosis, and she couldn't get any of the good hospitals to give her a definitive test, and she asked me to come there in person and to help her get into the really good hospital in Odessa for complete testing to get all the answers and the regimen of treatment. That she knew she was going to need to beat it, and um, that was that was what got me back into the country. And um, unfortunately, however, it was too late. And after a little over two years of working with her intensely, um, Svetlana did die from tuberculosis in June of 2014. Mm. But that was also the impetus for me beginning work in Ukraine on a more permanent basis. And in 2015 is when I met this wonderful group of servant-hearted leaders from a church, a Baptist church in Yuzhny, Ukraine, just north of Odessa. And they were already working for the Lord in the area of orphan care. And they were praying about getting into a specific orphanage that the entire town didn't even have an evangelical church yet. And the director was stopping them from providing wraparound care. You know, when a church wraps around a state run orphanage and just really tries to fill all the gaps and just loves on them, staff and all. And shortly after we met, They received word that the director had finally broken down and said, all right, we'll give it a trial run. We'll let you come in and see the kids. We'll let you play games with them. We'll let you do some things. But, you know, this could stop at any time kind of thing. But they were just thrilled. They had been praying for over two years for that. And they needed some support. And that's when Nourished Hearts truly began. And we wrapped around them so that they could wrap around the orphanage, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But with my master's degree in training and development, I'm all about taking a problem, breaking it down, seeing what all needs to happen to fix it, and then analyzing it at the end and making sure it accomplished what it was supposed to. So that's what we're about. We're looking at a three-legged model right now of orphan care and how churches around the world can apply this model in their country. So it's vague, but it's specific. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It has room for growth in each country, in each area. The first leg of that is wrapping around organized orphanage, orphan care, whatever that looks like. The second leg of that is Family preservation or orphan prevention, different people call it different things, where you're working with local authorities on those families that are being watched for possible removal of the children from their family and into an orphanage or state facility Mm -hmm. and how the church can wrap around them and help prevent that from happening. And we opened that center in Yuzhny, Ukraine, in the basement of this Baptist church, um, on May of 2016, no, 2015, um, no, 2016. I was right. They just celebrated their two year anniversary, wonderful photos. And, um, we have one leg to put in yet that we haven't yet. And that is the transitional care at the end. Yeah. But I believe in doing things right and doing them long-term and setting them up for success. So we haven't been able to attack that one yet because we're still working on refining and getting these other two legs good and seeing what works and what doesn't, at least for the country of Ukraine. But I tell you, it all starts with a church with a core group of volunteers and an additional core group of staff Because we have staff in Ukraine. And before we did anything, we walked them through how to write up a proposal, how to make sure your pastor and your deacon and your elders, everybody's on board from your church. And we just had some things, you know, that we implemented right from the beginning because the program is only going to be as good as its foundation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's something that you know we hear over and over is is the relationship, right? The, the relationship you have with the church, the relationship the church has with these families, with the people, with the uh, orphan and orphanages, orphan care communities, the different people that are working that's really when you're going to be able to really help each other. As I talked about, even before the, before you answered, you know, just the relationships people can make with you and with the organization, you guys can work together to do it better. And that's the, that's how we're going to get better. We're going to sharpen each other's iron sharpens iron. Right. And that's, that's the hope through all this. I get so encouraged to hear the family preservation, family strengthening, orphan prevention. What I, like you said, I mean, poverty alleviation is going to be a part of that. Discipleship is going to be a part of that. And that's really, yes. if we can prevent orphans from happening so much of the crisis will be alleviated. Um, you know, and then as you talked about the, the transition from, you know, aging out care, some might call it right. Um, Mm -hmm. that is so critical and so often neglected, unfortunately. Um, so to hear that that's a part of it, I love to hear that. And I, I encourage people out there who are doing this and who have had successes (laughs) and pitfalls to share that too with Kim so that she can incorporate it in what they're doing. Right. Um, so So encouraging. Um, I'd love to dive into each of those things much, much deeper. Unfortunately, today, we don't have the time for that because fortunately you have put out or you're getting ready. And, uh, you know, depending on when this actually gets released, it'll likely be soon after this is released um, that you have a new study Bible study that you're putting out, uh, in, it's coming out in September and it's called, I call you mine. And I can tell you folks out there, it's fantastic. I'm going to read you the unedited, uh, endorsement that I wrote for this. And I mean, Everywhere, as I do with any endorsement I do, if you know, if I've written an endorsement, it means I've read the book um, or at least the vast majority of the book and really mean what I say. So I said, wow, this is really good. What an incredible resource for the church. So what I kept saying to myself as I read this Bible study. Kim intricately weaves together stories, scripture, prayers, commentaries, and probing question to guide us to a deeper and richer understanding of God's gracious gift of adoption and how everyone can participate in the wonders of adoption here on earth. Dive into this devotional or Bible study, excuse me, and meditate on the truths found within. So, you know, with that, that's, that really kind of gives a, an endorsement, which is I try to summarize what I think it was, but what, you know, why did you write this study? You know, obviously someone asked you in the sense of you, you have a publisher and things like that, but what really caused you to write this and what do you hope will happen when people dive into it and really engage in it?
2: Well, it was, it was kind of strange because at the same time that I was, you know, starting up Nourished Hearts and going through all that the pain that can come with that, right, with official nonprofits, et cetera. At the same time, I was feeling this calling that that there was a book that I was supposed to write again, and I and I couldn't see it. I couldn't see the shape, and but I know how to wait on God, and I know how to be obedient. And so I just waited, and I kept w- seeing the shape, but I couldn't see it. And at first I thought, well, maybe this is supposed to be a devotional. And so I have a literary agent, so I... I I got together a book proposal and I gave it to my agent and we you know we had some discussion back and forth and, and he shopped it to the different Christian, um, publishing houses and, um, you know, devotionals were already coming out. They were coming out in droves at that time within these last few years. And, uh, one publisher said, you know what? I like what's being said here and I like the shape of this, but I think this is a Bible study and not a devotional. Would you be willing to write a Bible study instead? And I just stopped. It just floored me. It stopped me in my tracks because I felt my immediate human response was, I'm not worthy and I'm not trained. Hmm. I've had a couple classes, you know, at a Christian college in Bible. I'd been through the whole Bible and tested on it. I mean, I knew, and yet I didn't, I right. hadn't been to seminary, you know, and, um, But I knew how to study God's word and it just took prayer time. And I'll never forget the day when I was cleaning the bathroom mirror. Funny side story. Just got our son's first electric toothbrush and I had a mirror in my bathroom that was the proof of this new living toothbrush because it just had white specks of toothpaste everywhere. (laughs) And and I was trying to clean and reach all the things because it's a high almost goes to the ceiling. And he managed to get it everywhere. (laughs) I was trying to clean this mirror. And I remember praying because I would pray throughout the day. God, what do I do? You know, I don't feel like this is I don't feel like I am equipped to write a Bible study on the topic of adoption. And this would have to be done so well, God. And I just remember the thought from out of nowhere in the middle of that prayer was I don't need you to write this study. I'm asking you if you're willing. Hmm. Again, one of those moments where you're just like, wow, I, you know, and this isn't my life, it's yours. And of course I'm willing. And God had the most beautiful nine month writing experience for me during the writing of I Call You Mine. I only hope, you know, it is my hope that this book reflects the journey that I felt like God took me on during the writing of it.
1: Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I mean, I, I, I was very uh, encouraged by it. Um, just how you go through the foundations of God's love for us when people are considering adoption, but then you don't, what I also love about it is it doesn't stop with just, okay, now you've adopted and you have a family, but it's, this is bigger than um, the child that God has called for you to bring home right this is much bigger this is about the kingdom this is about god loving his children more than we ever will and he's letting us be a part of that right what does that look like in your life what does that look like how can you encourage others who may not be called to adopt or foster to do the same how can you do that through the same and why is that important and that's what i love about it and and on a side note which really isn't it's still about the book i love how you curated so many amazing resources into it through quotes, through stories, um, the people that you have throughout the book that you're referring to the stories, even just reading the, you know, the last chapter again and seeing Steve Weber, you know, a, a mutual friend who's in Ukraine and doing some amazing work. Um, and these people in the books that you have in the quotes and it's, it's such a rich resource for so many reasons. And I, I just want to thank you for, for writing it and for, you know, heeding the call, Um, and putting it on paper because a lot of people don't do that. And it is a lot of work to do what you did. And I, I just, you know, thank you for, you know, hearing God's call and saying yes. Um,
2: so thank you for that. Oh, well, honestly, when we say yes, we always have to keep in mind that I, I strongly believe God has something in store for us, something special. I mean, the worst things happen when I say no, even when I'm afraid, if if I'm just willing to step out and say yes to the next thing, God wants nothing but the best for us. And the blessings may seem like they're going to come from you to other people, but I'm telling you, God has a lot in store for the person that says yes as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing folks out there when you get this cuz i do encourage everyone to get it so when it comes out in september before then you can go to kim's website as she said and you can pick up the first couple chapter or the first couple weeks week weeks or days
0: for two weeks oh two my weeks. goodness what a, what a gift
1: what a gift yeah and then you're gonna be hooked and then you're gonna need the rest it's it's fantastic so yeah two of the weeks holy mackerel that's 10 10 days you're gonna be able to check out and then um you're gonna be just waiting on bated breath as you do for that next you know show to binge watch on netflix but this will be even more of a wait that you can just can't wait um for it to come out in september but but uh the other thing that you do in it which Don't shortcut this, folks. She has scripture memorization each week, and... That's something that is, I think, so neglected, but probably one of the most important things we can be doing is hiding these verses in our hearts so that when we need them, they're there at the ready and you're not going to expect it when you need it. So to have it there is so, so critical. So I'm so glad you had that as part of it as well because a lot of Bible studies, I think, neglect that scripture memorization part, which is so critical. So anyway, if you can't tell folks, I like this. I really like this study. So... um you know, I, anything else you want to share with our, our audience, Kim, about the book that, uh, or the Bible study that, that, or, or the other books that you really want them to know as you're kind of really wanting to encourage the, the folks that are listening in.
2: Well, I really want to encourage, um, our international listeners, Phil, mm-hmm. because, um, the the book will be coming out in some other languages. Oh, that's right. It's not going to be released at the same time as English, but um, Spanish, Russian, Ukrainian listeners know that we already have the translators lined up for this new Bible study. I call you mine on the theme of adoption, but it really expands into all of orphan care um, to be available in your own native language soon.
1: Yeah. What a gift that is. What a gift that is. And folks, just so you know, too, I'm going to get the names from Kim of who's doing this uh, translation and I'm hoping to get in pursuit of orphan excellence and some other resources. We need to get more resource into other languages. And so these are yeah. massive prayers, massive, um, you know, we need funding for these things. We need prayers to make it happen. The right people to interpret There's so many things that go into it, but we know how important it is to get really good resources, um, that are doing, you know, really. Bible-centered, gospel-centered work, so... um that brings us to our last couple of questions I ask all our guests. Now, normally, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say, I, I usually I kind of give our guests a little heads up on this. Now, you've listened to the show, so hopefully you know that I ask all guests these two questions. If not, you know, you might take a minute to think about it. But hopefully you will have some answers for me that will be re- at the ready. Um, the first question is, you know, what have you read, listened to, or watched recently that, uh, that has really impacted your thinking on how we can love orphaned and at-risk children with excellence?
2: Believe it or not, it was not an adoption or orphan care book. It was a book on how to study God's word. Mm. It's by Jen Wilkin and it's called Women of the Word. And it's just a different way of coming at my personal Bible study time. I had read it um, alone and then I took it to my micro group at church and we all studied it again together. And it has deeply impacted um, the way even when I was writing the book.
1: Fantastic. Well, that's, that's a great, that's a great resource for, uh, for you folks out there to definitely, definitely check it out. We'll have that in the show notes as well. Um, the last question, what one person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and at-risk children with excellence?
2: One of the first people I met at the 2008 Christian Alliance for Orphans Summit was brand new to the organization and his name is Jed Medifind. Mm. And Jed has remained an acquaintance, a friend ever since that meeting. And um, I just greatly respect him. I I respect the work he's done in Washington, D.C. And now he's he's turning from that and concentrating even more on um, orphan care, not only in our country, but around the world. Um, I have valued his friendship
1: yeah I'm proud to call him brother and friend as well and uh, I know he's impacted many a life and uh, thank you Jed for for what you're doing and we will continue to do very much appreciate it well thank you Kim for what you've done and what God has been doing in and through you it's, it's a huge encouragement to me and I uh, imagine it will be to everyone else who's listening so thank you Kim
2: thank you Phil
1: well, Kim, thanks again for just sharing uh, your life with us, just sharing what God has taught you um, over the last years, few years that have, have been difficult. Um, as I said at the beginning of the season, I wanted to start the season out with some great stories of God working in and through amazing lives. And Kim is absolutely no exception to that. Um, so, Rick, what would you would you take away from
0: it? Oh, man. Um, I, I just love Kim's story in um, you know, in so many different respects. And we obviously personally um, really identify with a lot of a lot of what they walk through being adopted parents from Ukraine as well. I think, um, you know, one of one of the things that jumps out to me in her story every time I hear her tell it is is just the sense of faithfulness that we see that comes through um, in, you know, in her um, you know, an incredibly unexpected turn in, in the, you know, the challenging of their adoption and, and the things that happened with the prosecutor. And, um, and, but Kim and her husband knew that the Lord had called them um, to, you know, to this child and, uh, and believed um, even when things were, seemed bleak and dark, that, um, that God had, you know, had continued to call them into this. Um and 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 the sense that they that they didn't give up, the sense that they didn't quit. Um I've told Kim before that, you know, what an incredible testimony that she is, you know, that that she created and they created for their son um through all of the twists and turns and the craziness of this um about the fact that like they their son Got a living testimony of what what many of us as adoptive parents hope that our our kids um, get from us, which is a sense of security and a sense of the sense that I will never leave you, mm-hmm. um, and so. To to watch that be walked out in her life is um, is helpful. And I think it's a great reminder to all of us that are that are engaged in any kind of adoption, foster care, orphan care, um, wherever we are in, in this space, that that something that something that kids need. But something I think also that God requires of us is, is our faithfulness, our stick-to-itiveness, um, and that, and that some, of the, some of the greatest tragedy that we see for vulnerable children around the world um, is that they have been continually let down and disappointed and, and let, been left behind and forgotten by person after person and by institution after institution. And some of the greatest damage that happens to kids in that process um, comes because because they just can't depend on anybody or anything. Mm. And and so I think, you know, what we see out of Kim's um you know, what we see out of her example is that um th- th- we need to be people who don't quit. Yeah. Because because ultimately they put on display the kind of love that Jesus has for us, that mm. you know, never ending, never quitting um, never relenting, um, redeeming kind of love. And, and, and so I'm just, I'm thankful. I'm encouraged every time I hear Kim tell her story. And so it's, uh, I'm, I'm really glad that the listeners have, have gotten a chance to hear it today. Um, and I, and I hope that, um, we'll take some encouragement that God will be with us and will walk us through that faithfulness. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I, I also strongly encourage you folks out there, pick up, pick up her new, um, her new study it it really is um it's fantastic I I don't uh I don't normally you know go through these um quickly like I did this one in pre- preparation for the for the uh podcast but I'm glad I did because it really gave me an overview of what it what it's all about and you know go check it out you can get the free two weeks online do that as she talked about in the interview um and I, I, know you'll, I know you'll be the better for it. Um, so beyond her phenomenal story, and I, and you, as you talked about, they, they kept pushing through, they kept, you know, it's a great example of when, you know, you're called, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to have the perfect, you know, easy flow. In fact, usually just the opposite. But when the other thing that's really interesting is in the midst of the race, in the midst of the game, in the midst of the, the struggle, the challenge, whatever it is, The one thing that really stuck out to me too is that there's a time to rest Mm -hmm. in the midst of the chaos, right? And we talked about that during the interview, you know, and really it's a great example of fruit of the spirit showing the patience, the joy, the love in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the what in the world is going on, in the midst of the this really stinks, in the midst of the suffering and the sitting in the middle of a foreign country for a very long time, right? Um, With complete uncertainty. And, you know, the idea of it's not fair, it really doesn't apply. Right. You know, um, I mean, it might apply, but it doesn't matter. Right. And to rest in that, um, that's just amazing. I mean, it really, and and I think that, you know, some people will probably look at our lives in different ways and say, well, you've probably done that in different times. And maybe we have, and we probably have, but to hear it in another life, to have that encouragement that we need to do it more. Right. And I think those practices of of solitude, of silence, of resting, of Sabbath, um, I think we're forgetting them, and we're we're not implementing them nearly enough in our lives. So, um, what are your thoughts on that? And then we'll get to our uh, recommendations.
0: Yeah, something something that she said, um, and again, not the first time that I've heard Kim talk about this, and and so I, I think. It, she talked about the that finding rest when she was when she was in the middle of the storm in Ukraine mm-hmm. was uh, it, it, she filled her mind with God's word. Mm-hmm. Like I like one of the things that, that and if you didn't pick this up in the interview, go back and listen to it. That you know, Kim talks about this idea of like at night, you know, like visualizing the like the hand of God supporting her, and 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 so you know, so definitely there were some things that she was thinking, um, and 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 doing actively to keep her mind in the right place. But the biggest thing that she said she did to keep her mind in the right place was was diving deeply into God's word, right. and and I man, I I just have to tell you that that like when when Kim called and said um, I've, I've written this book I call you mine and and it's a it's a study of God's Word um, intended for adoptive parents you know would you think about endorsing it my right. answer was uh, before I ever looked at it <laughs> right. my answer was yes right and and the reason the reason the answer was yes and then you know delving into the book and seeing it and and really seeing what she did was this but the reason was this incredible credibility of of a woman who I knew uh, loves God who loves his word who mm-hmm. who 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 feasts and dines on the word of God as her you know, as her sustenance and, and someone who in the, in the darkest, bleakest, hardest times of her life, um, was, was driven to prayer and driven to the word of God. And so, um, right. So I'll just along with you say that if, if you're out there um, as uh, someone that's in the journey um, as an adoptive parent and and particularly if you're in the time of waiting or if you're in the time of coming home and now this is real <laughs> and, and it's not easy, mm-hmm. um, I would encourage you pick up her book because because I think the people that she's collected together to 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 bring their voices to this, but then like the right treatment of God's word that she's that she's done in the book is so incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and so I, I, you know, I love what, um, what she brings as a writer, but, but I love more her heart as a woman who who loves God and her heart as a mom and, and, and the things that, you know, that we see get where we get to see, you know, Jesus really reflected, um, in her life.
1: Yeah, no, I fully agree. When I got the privilege of endorsing the book. It was like, of course, I mean, and I don't know Kim, like, you know, Kim, but I felt like I got to know her extremely well through the book. And like, like you said, the, I mean, just the gathering of phenomenal resources throughout the book, through quotes and through all that, that's worth the price (laughs) of the book. Right. And, and then it it's so much more. I love how she told me too. She said, Um, Phil don't call it a devotional. It's not a devotional. It's a study. And, and I really, but, but that is words matter, right? And what we call things matter. And I think like you said, because she has studied the word and she's encouraging others to study the word, that's how she's able to rest, right? To know, to be still and know that I'm God. How do we know that he's God unless we're studying the word, right? Right. What does that really look like? We can't do that without really knowing and understanding the word, right? So, well, we could talk so much more, um, but we do need to wrap it up today, and uh, I will do that with uh, a couple recommendations. The first is we've talked about story over the first uh, few episodes of this season, and, and I mean, obviously, every episode of the 107, I think it is, that we're at now have Um, Ben's stories but uh, there's a great book called building a story brand by Donald Miller and I think he helps us to put our story together in a way that really will capture other people Um, will stick with other people and I think that's important too because as we're doing um, ministry as we're doing different things um, trying to encourage and challenge other people we want them to remember what we're talking about right and it's not about I think the books in the context of branding and of marketing and things like that but I think it's something we can really learn from whether we're leading an organization or just trying to get people to understand our position on something or understand what we're about and who we are. And, and I think we can use it, um, to understand also, um, how people are moved, right? People are moved by story. People are moved by the, by the story. And, um, you know, and, and the, the one thing that I, I will say, the one caveat I have for it is, you know, it talks about it and it make the customer the hero. And I want to make sure that we're all making Jesus Christ the hero, right? And <laughs> what we're doing, that we are not the hero. The customer is not the hero. You know, Jesus is the hero. And if that doesn't sell well, you know what? Oh, well, you know, because in my my opinion, that's, that's what's important. And that's what we're about. So, um... The last thing I want to, and Rick's going to laugh. This is just in honor of Rick and us finishing up these last four episodes. I want to, I know it's going to be over, but that's the beautiful thing of, of, uh, you know, delayed, you can watch things on video and recordings, but the world cup is finishing up. Um, and you know, there's so many lessons we can learn from soccer. I, I have an episode coming up. You're going to hear it from Ryan North. We talk about that a little bit in the interview. Um, Ryan's a little bit more civilized than Rick, so he understands the beautiful game a little bit better. But um, but I will say that in this World Cup, I'm going to recommend you find the article that talks about the Japanese soccer team. Um a couple things, first of all, the Japanese soccer team they lost in the the round of sixteen. sorry to be a spoiler alert if you haven 't watched the tape delayed a version of it, but they lost in the round of sixteen and they actually cleaned the locker room, made it spotless for the stadium people, and they wrote a thank you note to the people that you know hosted them at the stadium the, the Japanese fans actually stayed after the games and cleaned up the stadiums that they were a part of, not all of them, but a lot of them. And you know what? That showed you just like class and character in the midst of a world that is lacking in both. Um, when I saw that article, it was really quite a cool thing. And then also the England coach, uh, Gareth Southgate, they had a, a shootout in the game in the round of 16 against, um, uh, why am I blanking? Um, on who they Columbia. play. Colombia. thank Columbia you. Would. See, look at this. I have impacted and influenced my friend and brother. No, um, I just have Colombian friends. I know, I know. I knew there was some reason. Um, and I knew it was Colombia. But they, they win the game. But Gareth Southgate missed a penalty kick back in 1996. And if you're still listening at the end of the show, it means that you've stuck with me on this. But it really is a good example for us about leadership. Because he could have just, the, the Colombian guy missed the fifth shot he got is saved and they lost. If he would have made it, they would have gone on and they could have won. He lost because he missed it. Well, Gary Southgate missed in 1996 and England lost that game. He sought that guy out after the game and talked with him and just consoled with him and said, Hey, life will go on. I don't know exactly what he said, but I'm assuming it was something along that, those lines. Like I can feel free. I can empathize with you. I can enter into your, your hurt and your, you know, pain right now and, and help you. And that was something that he didn't need to do. It was something that, um, you know, we don't need to do in our lives. But when we see people that we can empathize with, that we can hurt with, that we can mourn with those who mourn, Gareth Southgate was in one, probably one of the best moments of his life when they won that. And he actually entered into somebody else's mourning and said, you know what? I can be here with you a little bit because that's, that's important and that's life. So I hope we can all learn from these things as we see things in different contexts and see how we can apply them to our lives. And I do hope that you take what you learn today, what you learn throughout your life in these different contexts, what you learn um, in your study of scripture, what you learn in just your friendships and you take all those things and you help them to teach you and help you learn more and more how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day.